trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Glad you could join us as we revel in wrong think today. Our program brought to you by HSLAmmo.com, also by Pure-Light.com and MonticelloCollege.org. Go to my show notes at TheBrianHydeShow.com. You will find each of the articles and some of the links to some of the different stories that I'm talking about today, as well as links to the sponsors, which you can then thank, either by sending them a message and saying, hey, thanks for making it possible for Brian to do what he does, or simply do business with them. I mean, it's, it's your choice, no pressure. Well, we have a lot of great stuff to cover today, and I'm going to start with some good news, because it seems like sometimes that's in short supply, especially if you are a freedom-minded person and you're looking around you and going, why does it feel like the walls are closing in? The answer, of course, is because they are. There are people who are working very hard, day and night, tirelessly, working to assert greater control over you, your life, your finances, your communications, all of it. I know there's a time where that would have sounded really paranoid. It would have sounded like, oh, yeah, yeah, this sounds like some some conspiracy theory. But nope, that is life in our modern world. That is life in the time of COVID. And it's, uh, it's not that the world hasn't always been kind of an interesting and sometimes dangerous place, but people are taking advantage. Technology is helping. So I sometimes am happy when I see that uh, there are answers that come forward too. For instance, I have been using a uh, an encrypted messaging platform called Telegram. And I'm fairly new to it. I mean, I, I got serious about this a few months ago. And uh, this is how I go ahead and stay in touch with uh, different friends and, you know, people when I have to communicate confidential things that may be considered dangerous or otherwise, you know, not fit for uh, for public eyes. I'm sorry, I I can't even keep a straight face as I'm saying that. Basically, I just don't want to have to carry out every conversation as if there's government ears listening in on it. So I I use a couple of different apps. I use Signal, which is is a very good encrypted app. And, you know, I'm not an expert on this. There may be the CIA's the ones that invented it. I don't know, or the NSA. But Telegram has been an especially good one because you uh, you can have conversations on there and in, in some ways, you can actually not only enjoy privacy, but you can bypass tech censorship. Case in point, here's an article from Shane Trejo. This is from Big League Politics. Encrypted messaging platform Telegram offers new web apps allowing users to bypass tech censorship. Now, the article says the encrypted messaging platform Telegram is offering two new web apps, WebK and WebZ, which allow users to access banned channels over iOS. This allows users to access channels that were previously restricted by the Apple Store. Now, the impressive interface shows that Telegram's ready to compete with social media giants as they arguably offer more features and are more user-friendly than monoliths like Facebook and Twitter. Telegram has announced they'll be adding additional features to their web interface portals in the day to come. The Telegram announcement says, please check these cards, WebK card and WebZ card. 
They contain lists of all the major features that are not yet supported or not fully implemented in the new apps. Now, they're offering two similar apps because the organization believes in internal competition. And they actually have links in the story that I'll supply in the show notes here where you can access WebK or WebZ. Telegram is putting competitors to shame, the article says, as they show innovation is the key for building a successful digital platform. Now, if you remember earlier this year, remember, remember when Parler was suddenly shut down and essentially deplatformed by Amazon withdrawing its, the use of its uh, servers? Well, big league politics reported on Parler's pathetic fall from grace as they kowtowed to big tech in an attempt to get back online. Here's a quote from one of their articles. Parler is back in the good graces of big tech after caving to the political establishment and implementing a hate speech ban. Apple issued a letter to Senator Mike Lee and Representative Ken Buck praising Parler for bending the knee to their demands, including crushing freedom of speech on their platform. They noted that Parler has proposed updates to its app and the app's content moderation practices. Apple anticipates that the updated Parler app will become available immediately upon Parler releasing it, Apple's letter said. Now, before they started complying with big tech's demands, Parler was banned from the Apple App Store because they were blamed, without evidence, of helping foment violence that occurred during the mostly peaceful protest, protest rather at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Apple wrote to Parler's chief security or chief policy officer, rather, in February, saying, After having reviewed the new information, we do not believe these changes are sufficient to comply with App Store review guidelines. There is no place for hateful, racist, discriminatory comment on the App Store. Now Parler has effectively folded to big tech and has been completely neutralized as a social media competitor that respects free speech. This has been part of a long fall from grace for the platform, which has been revealed as a project funded by billionaire oligarchs. Now, the article says Telegram, along with Gab, is showing how a smaller firm can overcome corporate impediments and challenge big tech in the marketplace. And by contrast, Parler serves as an example of what not to do if you want to oppose big tech. Now, for those of us who are somewhere north of 40 years old, this can be a little intimidating. And, you know, I'm, I'm certainly no stranger here to uh, the, that sense of, oh, boy, more tech stuff. What am I going to do? I ask my kids if I need help. But it is wonderful to have tools that actively help to preserve your privacy and preserve your ability to speak freely. And I hope you, uh, I hope you take it seriously. I hope it's something that you don't just... You know, shrug and, well, what, what can you do? You know, can't fight City Hall. Actually, sometimes you can. We're going to talk more about that coming up a little bit later in the show. You know, one of the great blessings of free market economics is it encourages people to care for you without having to care about you. Now, what does that look like? Well, let me share with you an article here from Art Carden. This is from the American Institute for Economic Research. And this is a perfect illustration of, of why free markets are such a great thing. Now, before I start, I have, to, I have to tell you something because a lot of people equate the free market with, uh, well, uh, he's talking about capitalism and capitalism is big business in bed with government. And that's what a lot of people understand, or at least that's what they believe. And I guess, you know, to, to face facts squarely, most uh, big business is in bed with government. In fact, the bigger they are, the more likely it is they have partnered with government at some level. 
That's not free market economics. Free market economics means there is a strict separation between business and state. It keeps the state interference out of the market. So, strictly speaking, we do not have a free market system at this time. We have some elements of it. But we have strayed towards a lot of central planning and a lot of market interference, and it shows. You want to know why businesses are struggling? Well, this, this is one of the reasons why. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the hour as well. Art Carden's article, Markets Help People Care for You Without Caring About You, starts by pointing out, as many economists and other commentators have pointed out, markets turn the miraculous into the mundane. Paris gets fed. Frederick Bastiat reminded us, we look with proper wonder at the complex system that gave Parisians their daily bread. Well, today, if anything, Paris, Texas and Paris, France are fed too much. Moreover, many things that would have been significant problems years ago are minor inconveniences now. He says sometimes when people sneer, or sometimes people sneer when economists say, leave it to the market or let the market take care of it. So, by way of clarification, Art Carden is saying when we refer to the market, we use it as shorthand for decentralized, voluntary cooperation based on persuasion and exchange rather than coercion, obligation, and, plainly speaking, theft. Now, there's nothing in the market economy to guarantee that this or that problem will be solved completely. But he says we must remember that centralized systems are long on promises and short on results. What good is it to guarantee something and then repeatedly fail to deliver. People still slip through the cracks in a commercial society, but free markets have made those cracks a lot smaller. Now, when we come back from our break here in a few moments, we're going to talk about a few examples of times when the market, meaning strangers with their own problems who may not care about me, per se, came to my aid. This is Art Carden talking about it. And he's he's got a great example here, something that I think most of us would readily recognize and uh, and identify with because it's something we've all done before we get there though let me remind you that i have extensive show notes for every single day that this broadcast takes place i would encourage you please go to the brianhydeshow.com check them out for yourself there's a lot of good reading if you find yourself with some time on your hands none of it is intended to be the authoritative final word on a given subject this is there for your consideration What you do with that information, whether you use it to enlarge your worldview or change your mind, well, that's up to you. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I'm sharing with you an article by Art Carden from the American Institute for Economic Research. It's titled, Markets Help People Care for You Without Caring About You. And this is a great illustration of how the market can can come to the rescue and solve problems for us. Here's Here's a great example from Art's life. He says, I've said before that if I ever write an autobiography, it will be called, Where Are My Keys?, He says, as I typed the first draft of this piece, I was at home. Since I had misplaced my keys, however, my car was at the office. Try as I might, I wasn't able to find them. A few flicks of my thumb later, I had requested a ride from Uber and was waiting for someone to pick me up and take me home. 
Now, he says it was a problem that was a lot easier to solve because of innovation on the part of profit-seeking entrepreneurs. Now, granted, this wasn't the only way to solve the problem. I could have asked my wife to pick me up. I could have walked home. I could have called a taxi. Self-interested, innovative entrepreneurs made it a lot easier to solve the problem. Again, not because they care about me, per se, but because they care about themselves and those close to them. Now, Art Carden says, I'm terribly absent-minded, which means I forget a lot of stuff pretty frequently. Fortunately, profit-seeking entrepreneurs are there for me. Target was there for me when I needed to buy nice shoes in North Carolina in 2009 after forgetting to pack some. When I needed cough medicine at 4 a.m. in Storm Lake, Iowa in 2010, Walmart was there for me. Various hotel shops have been there for me with belts, medicine, shirts, and other stuff when I've needed it. He says, at every turn, people were able to care for me without necessarily caring about me. And this isn't necessarily vicious. He says, I'm a stranger. They have their own families and friends to care for. Markets have turned otherwise disastrous problems into mundane inconveniences with simple fixes. Hungry? Buy food. Headache? Take an aspirin. Cold? Put on a jacket. See, these problems weren't so easy to solve for our pre-commercial ancestors. They didn't have the luxury of fully stocked pantries, medicine cabinets, or closets. Formerly difficult to surmount problems are now easy to get around with the liberal application of a few dollars. Now, Art Carden says, since we can fix so many things with money, and since the market is there for us in so many ways, we can free up a lot of our time and attention for more important things. Remarkably, a small army of people devoted itself to making sure a fruit and yogurt parfait and bottle of water were there for me at the airport when I hadn't eaten lunch and had a plane to catch. It was remarkable. All they wanted in return was what would have taken me about 15 minutes to earn. To digress a little, he says, I don't believe in the labor theory of value. Still, I find labor time to be a helpful way to think about just how remarkably productive we are. Suppose I had wanted to make a single fruit and yogurt parfait. First of all, I would have starved to death waiting for the strawberries to ripen and the oats to grow. So I'd offer a big thanks to people who have laid something aside to sustain us while we produce. Second, caring for a tender strawberry plant would be time-intensive. Even if we assume that somehow I get the milk I need to make the yogurt, it still takes time to turn milk into yogurt. Having never made the stuff myself, I haven't the foggiest idea where I would possibly get started. It would take me many, many hours to produce a single fruit and yogurt parfait. This doesn't even account for the risk, and also making a parfait is pretty risky. Think about cultivating a strawberry plant. A lot of things could go wrong and leave me, leave me with no fruit for the parfait. Fortunately, some people specialize in risk management and risk assessment who were there for me. Art Carden says, as I've continued studying economics, I've gotten more and more interested in this notion of caring for people without necessarily caring about them. Indeed, I think there's a solid case to be made that simply working and saving more has more long-run benefits than most of the things we do in the name of helping those who are less fortunate than we are. He says, to those of you who are working to reduce transaction costs and find easier ways for strangers to cooperate, this absent-minded professor offers a heartfelt thank you. Yes, I'll try to be more careful next time, but as someone who routinely misplaces keys, coffee cups, sunglasses, and so on, I appreciate the efforts of those working to make these unfortunate incidents 
a little less disastrous. I'll have a link to this article in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. I love the example that he uses. I love that it's, it's an example of a lot of little miracles that are going on around us every single day. And I'm just going to offer this as, you know, this is my uh, armchair psychologist uh, kicking in here. But if you find yourself feeling the weight of all the craziness that's going on right now, politically, economically, and otherwise, a very solid way to get yourself recalibrated and, and, and get yourself back on track is to just try to open your eyes and look for examples of the little things that make your life better, to appreciate, consciously appreciate what's in front of you. The story about the yogurt parfait, beautiful. I mean, there are yogurt makers and there are strawberry growers and oat farmers and so forth, all of whom play a role in getting that simple treat there so that when you need it in your moment of need as you're rushing to catch your plane, you can enjoy it. If you really want to get your mind around it, I would strongly recommend Leonard Reed's I Pencil essay, in which he explains the, the division of labor and, and specialization and how cooperation and all of those, those thousands of people who are doing different jobs come together to make something possible that most of us take for granted, the simple pencil. But when you start thinking about, okay, but where does the wood for the pencil come from? Where does the graphite for the lead come from? Where does the rubber for the eraser come from? The metal for the little uh, ferrule that holds the, the eraser on the pencil. Who builds the tools for the factories that produce every one of those items? Who mines the raw resources or collects the raw resources? And it all comes together cooperatively in such a way that when you need a pencil, you plunk down a quarter or, I don't know, I haven't bought a pencil in a while. My wife would know. She's a school teacher. But, you know, you plunk down some pocket change and there it is. It's covered. Whereas if you were to try to create a pencil yourself from raw materials, it would be an almost impossible task. All right, moving on. You know, one of the things that, uh, that I find you know, distasteful about party politics, and this is why I try to keep my distance as much as possible, is how easy it is to get hung up on labels when we really should be focusing on what the principles are at stake. And I only mention this because I'm going to use the word libertarian. And for some people, that's, you know, that will cause a knee-jerk reaction. I have an article here from John Stossel. The title is, Society is Richer and More Accepting Thanks to Libertarian Ideas. Now, not everybody sees libertarianism with the same warmth and, and uh, you know, camaraderie that I do. But it's the principles I'm looking at more so than just a party label. John Stossel asks, do I live in an alternative or in an alternate universe? And the reason he asks is he said, the media tells me my side is winning. So Salon Magazine claims, we all live in Cokeland, the Koch brothers' libertarian utopia. Tucker Carlson says, our leadership class remains resolutely libertarian. And John Stossel says, what? Who? Not President Joe Biden. He says Biden already spent $1.9 trillion on COVID-19 <clears throat> recovery, mostly unrelated to COVID. Now he wants trillions more for a infrastructure bill, even though most of the spending would not go to infrastructure. He's eager to regulate more as well. 
Maybe the pundits were talking about former President Donald Trump. He tried to deregulate a little. But Stossel reminds us Trump vilified trade and raised military spending, increasing our debt by trillions. Stossel says we libertarians want to reduce debt, and we believe trade and immigration are good for America. Above all, he says we want, or we believe rather, that the best government governs least. But he says that's not what I hear from most Democrats and Republicans. We're going to come back to Stossel's article in a few moments. Please stay with us. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I hope that your experience in reveling in wrong think is proving to be a fruitful experience. Or at the very least, I hope you're having some fun, maybe learning something along the way. I can promise you this. Nobody learns more from these daily excursions through whatever it is I'm uh, you know, talking about or exploring uh, than I do. Uh, this, is, this is very helpful for me. So if, if, if any person is benefiting, it's probably me, but I'm very happy to share with you what I consider some of the better content that is available out there just to help us better understand the world around us as well as what we can do as individuals to reclaim our rightful heritage as free men and women. John Stossel is writing about how society is richer and more accepting thanks to libertarian ideas. But he says, uh, you know, libertarians want to reduce debt. They believe trade and immigration are good for America. But most of all, they believe that the best government is the one that governs least. But he says, that's not what I hear from Democrats and Republicans. So how can pundits from both the left and right say libertarian ideas are winning? Well... The Cato Institute's David Boaz, author of The Libertarian Mind, says, in a way, we are winning. He says, over the past couple hundred of years, we've moved from a world where very few people had rights and markets were not free to a world mostly marked by religious freedom, personal freedom, freedom of speech, property rights, markets, the rule of law. Now, for most of history, no country had those things. And as a result, says Boas, there was no, there's practically no economic growth, no increase in human rights and justice. Kings and tyrants ruled, enslaving people, stealing property, and waging wars that lasted decades. Then in 1700, suddenly, limited government and property rights and markets came into the world. Now the result was a sudden increase in prosperity. Americans are now told that the poor get poorer, but it's not true. Americans are 30 times richer than we were 200 years ago. When America began, rich people were poorer than poor people are today. Boaz says in colonial America, if you were traveling and you wanted a place to sleep, you'd go to an inn where everyone shared a bed. Ben Franklin and John Adams shared a bed on one of their diplomatic missions. They fought whether or not the window should be open. John Jay, America's first Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, complained about sleeping with strangers and picking up bedbugs and lice. Boas says it's not like that anymore because of the increase in wealth. Today at motels all over America, middle class and poor people have their own beds. 
When markets are free and private property is protected, innovation happens in ways that allow ordinary people to live better. Over time, that innovation multiplies. It's why today most of us live better than kings once did. Louis XIV had hundreds of servants who prepared him dinner. But John Stossel says, Today, my supermarket offers me a buffet that Louis XIV couldn't imagine. Thanks to trade and property rights and markets, each of us lives as if we had more servants than kings. And he says, We also live longer. David Boas says President Calvin Calvin Coolidge's teenage son was playing tennis on the White House tennis court. He got a blister on his foot, and the blister got infected, and the health care available to the son of the President of the United States was not sufficient to keep him from dying. But the point here is that few of us notice such steady progress. And Stossel says the media gives us bad news. They tell us about cancer, clust- cancer clusters rather, and coups in Myanmar. As a result, we forget the big picture, and it's important to remember the big picture so we don't lose it. That big picture, by the way, also includes progress in fairness and decency. David Boaz reminds us we've moved from some people have privileges that others don't to human rights belong to women and black people and gay people. The direction of history has been in the direction of markets, personal freedom, human rights, democratic governance, and that's what libertarians advocate. Now, lest you think that, uh, well, then I guess everything is okay. I can go back to sleep. That's not at all what he's saying. But I think he is pointing out here, take a look and, and see. There's a lot of good stuff that's going on here as well. Unfortunately, there is always and will always be opposition And that opposition is going to push back and is going to, wherever possible, try to overcome liberty, innovation, free markets, etc. So that puts some onus on you and on me. If we're serious about living as free people, we have to claim, use, and defend our rights. And it sounds pretty easy, right? I mean, right now there's food in the fridge and so forth. You know, when you're not really being squeezed... That's a pretty easy thing to to do. But as this program and many others like it are are, are warning, there are some pretty devious ways that that things are coming at us. Uh, You know, I, I try not to chase after too many conspiracy theories just because there's so much going on out in the open. You don't have to go down a rabbit hole to see stuff that's that's really incompatible with liberty. Case in point, you know, the idea that we're going to have vaccination passports. Can you imagine the mischief that could come about with the vaccination passport? What if, what if this is the kind of thing that you, you can't so much as go into a supermarket? You can't ride on public transportation. I mean, we're already at the point you're not going to board this plane unless we can see that you've been vaccinated and you're properly wearing a mask. COVID has been weaponized into a tool for what started as authoritarian but is rapidly becoming totalitarian control. And we've got to be very conscious of this. I want to share with you kind of an interesting story out of Arizona. And this is a story that illustrates what happens when people stop asking permission to be free and start reclaiming their rights. Now, it's a story out of Arizona where a school board abruptly canceled a scheduled meeting that they were holding about removing their mask mandate. And they they cited safety concerns. Oh, the public is here. A hundred parents are here. And they have strong opinions. We better cancel this meeting for our own safety. 
Not a good idea. So you know what those parents did? The school board ended its meeting that was scheduled, or I guess canceled it, and fled. And the parents apparently said, okay, great. We will elect a new board, which then voted to end the mask mandate. Here's an article from electionwiz.com. The headline, Arizona School Board Flees, Parents Elect New Board, Vote to End Mask Mandate. On Tuesday, the Vail School District in southern Arizona was scheduled to discuss its mask policy after Governor Doug Ducey enacted a new executive order lifting the state's order to require face masks in schools. Now, in response to the meeting, more than 100 parents rallied for the Vail School District to drop the mask mandate. But just moments before the meeting was scheduled to take place, School officials abruptly decided to cancel the meeting, citing safety concerns over the parents' protest. Where have we seen this before? Oh, yeah. Regularly, pretty much every public meeting regarding COVID in Idaho, at least every meeting where Ammon Bundy happened to be in attendance. Oh, we're afraid. I saw this in, in my own uh, you know, home county of Utah County last year. We better do this differently because there's people in here without masks and people with opinions. So in Arizona, a throng of parents later pushed their way into the boardroom while refusing to wear masks and demanded to speak with their elected officials. Can you guess what the school board did? Yeah, they called 911. Pima County Sheriff Nanos told uh, a local TV station a sergeant and four deputies showed up in just over a minute. The district said the sheriff told the board to adjourn the study session because the crowd was uncontrollable. Now, the sheriff is saying that that's false. The board made that decision on their own. Crowd control was not an issue. Nevertheless, emotions ran high as parents confronted law enforcement, demanding to know why the board canceled the meeting. One parent passionately asked, they, the school board, have the audacity to leave when we come here as peaceful parents to talk to them? Following the adjournment, the parents, under Robert's Rules of Order, voted in a new school board. Then the new members voted to end the mask requirement in Vail schools. Now, whether that procedure to install new board members is legally valid remains in contention. Oh, you better believe (laughs) the spin and the control on this is is, uh, that's that's totally illegitimate. And where there was no violence that took place there, I'm going to just, you know, stick my neck out and say, you want to put the fear of God back in your elected officials? This is a pretty good way to do it. Just show them then we don't need you. If you're going to use a little trickery, if you're going to, oh, safety, and, you know, run for the hills because people are demanding accountability, maybe you're not cut out for this kind of public office. Facebook, uh, po- a Facebook account posted video of the meeting with this summary explaining the parents' position. It says, Vail School Board violates Arizona open meeting law, refuses to hear from the people and goes home. So the people hold quorum, call their own meeting to order, elect a new school board, and immediately vote to cancel the mask mandate, along with voting to disallow any medical procedure from being forced on children or employees. That's how you take back power from a tyrannical government. Great work to parents of the students in the Vail School District. And yes, there were people who said, hey, this sounds like Ammon Bundy-type rhetoric. I don't know if Ammon Bundy had anything to do with it, but he certainly has set an example of someone who's not going to just be bullied into giving up his rights. I say good for them. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. So yes, I have a link to the article that I was referencing in the last segment about the uh, Arizona school board abruptly canceling their scheduled meeting over removing its mask mandate. Why? Because there were too many parents that were demanding, take this mandate off, stop requiring kids to wear masks, etc. And and I, I look, I understand it's it's a contentious issue and there's there are strong feelings on masks and you know, it's, it's going to continue this way for some time. We have had at least a year and a few months now of some of the most serious psychological, um, what is the right word here? I, I'll say the word indoctrination, but that may seem too harsh. We have been conditioned, there it is, psychological conditioning that masks are everything, that uh, that somehow only public officials can know when it's right and when it's not to lift a particular mandate for this or that. And I get it, you know, the pressure that's on people in elected positions like school board members, that, uh, that can be pretty stressful. You're not going to make all the people happy all the time. But when people show up to a meeting, and because there are people there, and because they are insistent, hey, you need to hear us and hear what our concerns are. It's pretty cowardly to cancel the meeting. Oh, well, we fear for our safety and we're going to run somewhere and we're going to call the police and tell them the crowd's out of control. And I think control is the key word here. What you have are elected people who are desperate for control. And when it's clear that the crowd is saying, you know what, you work for us. And they're demanding that accountability. I guess it's it's understandable. They're going to tuck tail and run. And I know there are those who would say, well, now, Brian, what you're describing sounds like anarchy, though. It sounds like every man for himself. This is the law of the jungle. I don't know, man. How well do you know Robert's rules of order? I'm familiar with them, but I, I don't think I could sit up and, you know, run a meeting perfectly like a parliamentarian, you know, according to Robert's rules of order. But I have to think at least at some level, that was pretty cool. The school board in in Vail, Arizona, they opted out of their meeting. No, we don't want to be accountable. We don't want to do this. We're going to just just adjourn the meeting and and cancel it and go home. And the crowd said, okay, well, in your absence then, we're going to go ahead and vote you out, vote in a new school board, and we'll go ahead and lift the mandate ourselves. I know, legally, right, legally, if if someone in a magic robe hasn't said the magic arcane words, you know, to, to say this is, this is just, uh, some people are going to say, well, then it's just not legitimate. But it's a good type. It's a, it's a good, it's a shadow of, of, of what people should be willing to do to step up and lead when your leaders are too cowardly to do so. The fact that they did it peacefully, well, that kind of works in their favor. I'd love to get Ammon Bundy's take on it. This is something that uh, that he has has talked about, and and I think very few people have been as successful as him. Yep, he's been arrested a lot, and I believe he was actually back in court yesterday. Um, he was uh, booked and released on the warrant for failure to appear to uh, an earlier court uh, appearance, but then he had to race across town to get to another arraignment. I don't know if he was able to do that successfully. If he did, great. If not, they've probably issued another warrant. But he's no stranger to the system. But it comes down to you've got to stand with one another 
if you are going to put authority in its proper place and keep it operating in the interest of the people. How that looks is going to change from situation to situation. I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all approach. But it takes people who have the courage of conviction and enough moral clarity to stand up and do what needs to be done when you have people who are more concerned about all the political implications of, of whatever it is they're, they're trying to do or trying to avoid. All right, on that note, going to switch gears here, and I want to just talk for a moment here about uh, the, the growing economic concerns in the nation. It's very fashionable for the media and the political class to blame this on coronavirus. Well, you know, when coronavirus came along, that's when everything just kind of fell apart on us. Ken McManigal says, no, no, so many of our economic woes can actually be traced back to specific government policies, and therefore he says government owes business a sincere apology. Kent McManigal says, after this past year, government owes business an apology. And he says, not just empty words, a meaningful apology. An immediate suspension of all taxation on any economic activity whatsoever and a suspension of all business regulations would be a good start. Now, he says, if you imagine I just said businesses should be free to poison or maim customers, you're hallucinating. I never said any such thing. If you harm someone, including harming them with government actions on purpose or accidentally, You owe them restitution. He says responsibility doesn't hinge on government regulations, but on the market. In fact, government is more likely to pretend such a reckless business only needs to pay a fine to set things right rather than make things right with the individuals who were harmed. Now, what about taxes? Well, Ken McManigal says only someone completely ignorant of business economics could imagine businesses ever pay any taxes. They don't. They can't. Just like every other business expense, all business taxes must be passed along to the customer, which is you and me, in case you aren't clear. He says, I can't afford to have the businesses I patronize paying for government I neither want nor need. Can you? This hands-off policy, he says, should continue as long as government insists there's a pandemic and won't allow life to get back to normal because of it, at a minimum. Better yet, he says, it should be permanent. I'm calling for a separation of economy and state. Anyone should be able to start any business they want without asking government permission. No licenses or permits, no fees, no bribes, no zoning, no taxes, no handouts. If people don't want the business to survive, they won't spend their money there. And without any government handouts to keep them going, this would be the end of it. Now he says, I'm not claiming this would solve everything. It may be too little, too late for some business owners. Their livelihood was destroyed by government's COVID-19 overreach and their spirit has been crushed along with their finances. This would still be the best chance of making things right with them. Maybe it would give some of them a way to start over. He says, I would love to see every empty storefront filled. Can you even imagine the improvement to your quality of life this would bring? It could be done, but... Government has to stop preventing it. And he says, government owes us this much at least. It would be better than a measly stimulus check. Now, I'll confess, I did not watch uh, President Biden's address to Congress uh, a couple of days ago. And um, I'm, trying to be, I'm trying to be magnanimous in, in how I say this, but um, generally, if I were to ask to describe, what do you feel for you know, the, the political class in our country. And I'm talking from the federal level right on down to the local level. 
Um, I'm just about this close, a couple millimeters away from just uh, full-on contempt for them and for what they do. Now, granted, there are some good people, and I think sincerely trying to do the best they can. And then there are people who just are milking it for everything they can to consolidate power, to, to consolidate control over people. And from what I've seen of the various clips and various reports of the president's message, he wants to spend. Oh, he wants to shower the goodies. He wants to make it rain with government favors, everybody. Trillions and trillions of dollars conjured up by the magical money machine. And then he reminds us, government is good. We're here to help you. We're, we're all in this together. And, but the biggest lie he told, at least according to the articles that I have seen on this, was when he, he capped it all off with, this is all we're going to spend. Here's the goodies we're going to give you. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do everything for you. And then he reminds us, government is the people. We the people are the government. Now, look, I don't have all the answers, and I'm not going to claim that I've got the total lock on the truth on this. But it's pretty clear to me that government is not we the people. And the best evidence I would offer for this is if you, if you think that you are the government, tell me about the last policy change that you personally effected. No, I'll wait. I've, I've got all day. Please, <laughs> go ahead and enlighten me. I think it was Pew Research a few years ago did some, some very serious research into where does political influence come from? Who has the greatest influence on public policy? The average person, people like you and me, almost no influence whatsoever. But you know who did have the influence? The moneyed interests, the special interests, the lobbyists. They were the ones who could more or less affect public policy as they chose. So if you're not in bed with government, if you're not rent-seeking, if you're not uh, playing the game, so to speak, your chances of affecting policy change are almost minuscule. In the meantime, you know the policymakers are doing everything they can to fleece you at every turn. I still maintain one of the best strategies that we can have right now is make yourself an unplayable piece on their chessboard. It does take effort, but the freedom is worth it. Every single time. This is The Brian Hyde Show.